Hello and welcome to CAA Conversations. I'm here today with Rachel Clark and Peter Williams from California State University, Sacramento. They'll be discussing interdisciplinary and community-involved curricula. Rachel Clark is a professor of new media art at CSU Sacramento. Her work intertwines themes of nature, culture, and technology, combining physical and virtual modes of making. Peter Williams is a new media artist specializing in interactive installation and an assistant professor at CSU Sacramento. So without any further ado, I'm going to hand the conversation over to these two. Well, thank you, Ellen and Rachel. Thanks for inviting me to join you in this conversation. Well, thank you for participating, Peter. Well, um, I guess we're going into three years of teaching full-time together in new media art at CSUS. Yeah, that's um, right. How long have you been here for? Uh, I have been here since 2001, so 17 years. Mm. <laughs> um, and, and I've been myself, I started here in 2016, um, coming from a, a few full-time faculty positions before that. So I, I've been teaching for about 15 years. Um, and when I was coming, you know, uh, com considering coming here back in 2016, uh, one thing that caught my eye and seemed compatible with my research and teaching was the way you've been able to integrate and balance your research with your teaching and student learning experiences on public art projects. It actually was a really big thing that excited me about coming here. So, and now of course we're about to work on a collaboration um, with these two classes we're teaching this semester as well. Yeah, that's right. Um, I guess for me, the idea of teaching and practice being intertwined is, it's really a guiding principle. Um, and yeah, I, for sure, all artists who teach naturally teach from their practice in their knowledge base of media and processes, but I think also in their philosophies and values. So. Um, you know, certainly collaboration and interdisciplinary, interdisciplinarity are an ongoing aspect of my practice where I particularly make use of the equivalences between sound and moving images. And um, amongst others, I uh, fairly regularly collaborate with my husband, Stephen Bloomberg, who's a new music composer. And I, I guess I'm really interested in collaboration as a way of thinking and making that results in a, a new totality, something that a singular creator really couldn't arrive at. And I really like, in the end, being surprised by what emerges and what I contributed to it. That said, I don't think collaboration can be forced because it's really about making an intimate and organic connection with others' minds and sensibilities. So I can't imagine actually building an undergraduate course around it. So I guess in the curriculum, I approach it in other ways, like building interdisciplinary learning environments and that way bringing about a collaboration of ideas. And I think you'd agree it's a little hard to do that in our institution, but I found a way by creating courses in studio art that are cross-listed with other programs, one being a cross-list with computer science, um, one with film studies. And I think in those courses, there's a really healthy cross-disciplinary dialogue. Um, so yeah, so I, I like the idea of fostering an environment where the creative problems can be thought through from students in different knowledge bases. And 
and it, and there as well, students get to understand how others think and solve problems. So I think the barriers between specialisations get more fuzzy. I really think the outcomes in those classes would be entirely different if they were restricted to art majors. Um, what are your thoughts on collaboration and interdisciplinary practice, Peter, both, I guess, in relation to your own work and also in terms of your teaching? Yeah, I definitely also rely on collaboration for my own practice. And I always think back, reflect on a pivotal moment um, when I was in grad school. And one of my mentors helped me understand the possibility of sharing in a process of discovery and self-realization. Um, it's, it's definitely been a journey for me in um, connecting with the world. Um, this was uh, this started in an MFA seminar class. And so we had spent the entire semester critiquing our work together and contributing our thoughts on assigned texts. And then at the end of the course, the professor asked us to share something with everyone in the class. And I had a hard time right then understanding this as separate from what we had already been doing. And I sort of felt as though I'd shared everything I could at that time. And so reflecting back on it later on, I come to realize that I could share nothing and it doesn't have to be withholding. It's just acknowledging that you're here with, with other people and we're in this together. So in that sense, um, I've, I've been collaborating. I've used that a lot in my own work, um, collaborating with my partner, Sala Wong, who is also a new media artist. Um, and in collaborations, you're in a process of translating your ideas through language and conversation, making changes to it with your hands and processing it both mentally and physically. Um, when someone else is contributing at the same time by making or even just suggesting a change from inside of the same process, you witness it taking shape from inside out. And that becomes even more true when you involve groups of people you don't know so well. So um, it's definitely been a process of expanding upon that uh, over the years. Um, that's helped me go outside of myself and make art with other people um, through community-based projects, performances, and also in my teaching. Um, I just feel if you can accept that you have nothing to say for yourself, then you can accept you can accept the same from other people, and then that becomes a dialogue. Um, so I find that in the classroom when I'm sitting down with a student who's confused and they don't know what to say with their work and we can talk about it, it's a really fulfilling part of teaching for me. Um, mm. and, it, it, and it does come from the same place uh, as many of my own projects and collaboration. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think it's even more fulfilling when the students actually do this for each other and I get to step back and watch them forming creative ideas together. It's, that's really interesting. I, um, I suppose I have seen that in my classes from time to time, but how do you arrive at that point? Well, I guess I'll just give an example. Um, <clears throat> uh, one semester when I was fairly new faculty at our school, I was assigned to teach the grad seminar in studio art. And the usual structure of that class, as you know, is group and individual critiques. But I decided to add an extra component 
uh, cross-disciplinary collaboration. So ahead of the class, I contacted faculty from other departments, um, let's see, biology, music, English lit, theater, to name a few. And I asked faculty if they or their students, regardless of whether they were graduate or undergraduates, would be interested in participating. And everyone who responded was invited to meet with the grad students at the beginning of the semester. And in that meeting, those who found connections uh, between their interests paired up. So during the semester, they worked together. And at the end, they presented their collaborative projects. And some of the work was fantastic. Um, there was a sound installation dealing with gender identity that was created by a grad sculpture student and a professor in the English department. And, and there was a live performance of Samtur, which is this traditional Iranian instrument um, with video projection, which was uh, by a, a studio art a student. And I think, I think where it worked best was where the, the students didn't make their usual work, but they really allowed something to generate out of the collaborative experience. And what's, I think what's really interesting to me is that some of the collaborators continued to work together. So Ruzbe Nafizi and Sarah Granit, who did the Santa and video work, have actually performed their work together in the US and Europe in recent years. So I'd say about that project, it was an experiment. There were no expectations, no preconceived plan. And I think because it was improvisational and had a loose open structure, it worked really well. Do you have any interesting projects you want to talk about? Well, I could definitely relate to what you were describing there. Um, the liberal arts are ripe for interdisciplinary work. And I could share a project I developed while I was working uh, at a very small liberal arts college a few years ago. Um, it was great because I, I got a chance to teach an upper division topics studio art course and I um, developed that around creative coding. Um, the department only had a few, very few number of art majors, so most of the students were coming from other departments, um, economics, the natural sciences and film studies and all over. So. And I had already noticed this in other classes I had taught before, and it really impressed me because the students would come in with um, with ideas from their other classes and address them in their art projects. So I wanted to encourage that. Um, and what I came up with was an artistic data visualization project where the students could collect data on any subject they wanted and then produce software using um, processing IDE uh, to sort that data and present it in different visual ways. Um, I, gave, I tried to give them papers and references from outside of art as well, and also encouraged them to bring in references of their own. So one of my favorites was an article published by IBM uh, around two, uh, 2010 and it was written by um, data or data information scientists uh, in which they were just describing a number of artistic data visualization projects by um, people like Jason Salavon and Golan Levin. So this was mm, uh, like a perspective of scientists describing artwork that was produced in part using scientific methods for other scientists. 
and yeah, and it just sort of, I, I was looking at that, just different strategies to broaden the scope of discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, the outcome of that project was a series of prints in which the same data set was iteratively shown using different parameters and sorting methods. And then some of the students went further and created animations from a larger number of iterations. Can you, can you just clarify, when you say the same data set, do you mean they all work from the same data set or did they, can they have their own data set and continue to work with that throughout the semester? Oh, that's, um, no, uh, that's interesting. No, they were, uh, they stuck to their own data sets. Mm, um, they were working with their own topics and their own subject matter. But, but yeah, that's a very interesting idea. And I guess I could connect that um, to another project I sometimes give where students pool their images into a data bank and then we recombine them. It's, it's kind of a digital um, exquisite corpse but um, we, the, in terms of each uh, each corpse, if you will, being their own creation or having a, an extension of the digital in that, um, the the parts are subject to plotting on their own each student's own two dimensional character rig. Uh, so that can be of any configuration. And, but now that you mentioned it, I think I I might try to think about how other forms of data could be like that. So, so another question about your data visualization project that you were just describing, um, where would you say the common ground was amongst the students? Um, well, the class was, yeah, again, it was filled with non-art majors, so I really wanted it to be an art experience for them. And I think this class, uh, it, it, it brought about a better understanding of poetry and meaning in art. Um, they were dealing through these methodical processes of collection and analysis. And yet they were also having to be in constant communication with their own feelings toward the subject matter. And many, so in that sense, um, many of the students were sorting through their positions as artists. I, I also hope they were going back to their own majors with a critical perspective there as well. Um, that also related to discussions about abstraction and how meaning can be embedded in a poetic form. And I have to say the critiques were also really interesting in that we had to consider whether or not visitors to the work would need or even want to have knowledge of this underlying subject matter, which gets at the basic issue of interpretation versus intent. And in some cases, the students were kind of wrestling with different strategies for calling attention to a context or a specific argument or evaluation that they're trying to make on a on a topic or a phenomenon. Um, I would imagine that you would need to involve interdisciplinarity in your cross-listed classes too. Oh, I have a, a project I do in my 3D modeling class um, called Physical to Dirt, oh, sorry, Physical to Virtual. And the students in that class are studio artists, computer scientists, engineers, game designers, graphic designers, filmmakers, and other disciplines. And in that project, we look at Frank Gehry's design process, like going from gesture sketches to models to 3D CG and 
we look at artists who work with virtual and physical sculpture like Chris Manzione and the project starts with the students making quickly hand-built sculptures in really mundane materials like cardboard, paper wire and I have them go to the dollar store and use stuff from there as well and then they photograph these 3D studies that they've built and the next stage is they model the 3D study in 3D CG but from direct observation, much like they would work from like observational, observation in a drawing class. And it's really challenging for them to capture the hand-built quality and imperfections of the original sculptures, but it creates very interesting gestural models in CG with this intimate connection to their physical handwork. And then they texture and render the 3D CG model. And this makes a connection back to the photographs they took since they now have They've now gone from photographic representation to post-photographic representation through 3D simulation. Then they scan the hand-built sculpture and the resulting scan model is compared with the 3D model they built. And what's interesting in this version, of course, is that the character and flaws here are through the machine capturing rather than through the hand. And the final stage is putting the 3D models into an augmented reality environment um, and they can use the virtual model they built or the virtual model they scanned or both and that's really the culmination of the project because it's where all the stages are folded in and experienced together and I think the mixed reality of AR, the AR experience blends their physical space that they're in, the screen space of where they're experiencing the, the AR and the CG models that also represent the physical models. So in this merging of physical and digital forms in this project, I think the intent is for the students to experience how, actually how embodied virtual objects can be. So I think this is important for students to think about who spend many hours of their time on social media and in game environments. Um, this deconstructing and reconstructing, reimagining of the physical and the virtual through these cumulative stages of development, I think gives them a more critical perspective. So they're not just doing what they're doing when they're using these tools. Um, they have agency, they're taking on the role of the creator rather than the consumer of technology. And I think this relationship to technology is important regardless of the student's discipline. I agree. I, that seems really a valuable point, and this is kind of a commonality among our projects. Um, yeah, it's this, and probably quite specific to new media art for the reasons you're describing the ubiquity of digital tools or products. Um, it, it it's a process of unlearning Absolutely. because students frequently come to us saturated with experiences of consuming digital entertainment and, and social media, or in my case, I guess, um, frequently seeing digital or data visualization being widely used as a way of presenting these complex product uh, pro problems to mass audiences in, the, in very reduced and simplified terms. Um, but I think another commonality, I was thinking about something similar between your project and mine is in how we both kind of arrange a longer term project that guides students through a series of processes 
of creation through iteration. And that seems helpful somehow. Um, do you think about it that way? I think I think particularly with groups of students from discipline from different disciplines, it's very helpful. Yeah, I mean, you, you can't assume what they know already. So when you lead them through a cumulative process where each step builds on the last and then leads to a culminating experience, it means the knowledge is made more attainable over stages. Uh, so the visual data project you were describing earlier really sounds exciting. And you mentioned visitors when you were talking about it. Right. So was the student work exhibited outside of the class? And if so, how did this work when there were so many iterations? Right, yeah, that was another big important part of it. So um, it was just a very unique uh, situation because that semester I had um, in advance arranged an exhibition for the class at an independent gallery which was about an hour away uh, from campus. So this is well outside of the academic bubble of our college town and um, it was really ideal for the course because we had the space for basically half of the semester um, over two months and we were able to work there um, and have the exhibition literally and physically change over time. So we had multiple installations, receptions, deinstallations and reinstallations. Um, we were showing process work in the gallery and then we would remove portions of it and reprocess it, redisplay it in new forms. Um, and I started the semester by emphasizing that um, process is a key component of contemporary art. And so that, you know, to, to help prepare everyone for the fact that we would be intentionally showing work in process um, for the purposes of opening and incorporating dialogue from outside of the classroom and the studio. And I did really do always find it fascinating in situations where you're in a studio art class with daily critiques, one-on-one -on -one feedback happening, and then finding ways of inviting feedback or inter intervention from people outside of that environment. And it just happens that this long-term art exhibition opportunity, I had facilitated that for this class, but it was very unique, uh, unique situation. And it really just came out of connections that I already had happening. Um, within my own practice. Yeah, my experience is working in the community on a project is entirely different than working in the classroom because it's usually the first time and maybe the last time the project will ever happen. And so you have to invent everything and people outside of academic academia have really different priorities. So mm -hmm. you have to draw on very different energy and um, improvisational skills, I think, as well. And um, I'll, I'll give an example of uh, my project, Broadway Augmented, which was an augmented reality virtual public art project that I initiated and worked on in collaboration with the Sacramento Metropolitan Arts Commission, the Broadway Business Partnership, the CSUS College of Arts and Letters, and the, and the NEA as well. And my interest in doing this this project came from realizing the potential of augmented reality to open up new possibilities for what and where public art could be and how audiences can experience it. So 
This is in the tradition of Art Angel, the public art organization that has supported innovative site-specific work in the UK and beyond since the 90s. Are you familiar with that group? No, I don't think so. Okay, well, well their first project was um, Rachel Whiteread's house, and house was created for um, a neighborhood in East London called the Bow neighborhood, where the houses were being demolished to make way for a gentrification process. And um, Whiteweed cast the entire interior of this Victorian terrace house that was scheduled for demolition and then displayed it on the outside in white concrete. So the building appeared as a ghost of its former self. It sounds really beautiful. Yeah, it really was. And it, it was always intended to be temporary artwork, but the you know, temporary public artwork, but the exposed interior just really struck a chord with the community and it became so popular they wanted it to stay there. But um, unfortunately, the local council voted to demolish it. And I think, however, this I, because of that, the piece became a cultural icon. And I really love how this project had such a topical and emotive connection for the for both the location, but also the community. So the Broadway augmented it comes from the same place, I think. The intention was to invite artists to reimagine or draw attention to what was special about the Broadway district in Sacramento, which is a rather depressed and forgotten neighborhood in the city. And using AR, they could uh, reveal the histories of the neighborhoods um, and also you know, project possible futures onto it. So they could completely transform the environment and using AR without any physical invent intervention into it. And I also really like this level of temporariness and impermanence because it represents the antithesis of public art as a monument. So I proposed it to the Art Commission and we got an NEA placemaking grant. So with that, we were able to invite the 11 artists who were going to participate from all over the US to come and, uh, and to Sacramento and actually experience the place before making their artworks. Um, and Alan Rhodes from the Art Institute developed the app and students in the, our new media art program worked with the artists, many of whom hadn't worked with AR before and they worked to translate their artist designs into 3D models and prepare them for the AR platform. Mm, that's interesting, but how did you involve the artists if they weren't familiar with AR? Well, interestingly, it was actually the students who educated the artists on how their physical practice could be translated into a virtual form. Um, so the students worked together as a collaborative team. There was a lead modeler overseeing each of the projects and they developed really close relationships with each of the artists. And we also did some cross-disciplinary work within the university. We collaborated with a professor in the graphic design department who oversaw her students in creating all of the branding and PR for the project such as the app interface and the website, maps, decals, and so on. I feel like this uh, project provided an opportunity for students to be involved in something that was innovative and experimental and unfolding in the moment. They got to work with professional artists and the public. They were involved in teamwork, uh, had to use their initiative and creativity and skill. Um, they were challenged by it. Uh, they felt like they owned it and they really had made a deep connection with the, to the project but also to the artists and to the extent that some of them are still in contact today. Um, it was really a learning experience beyond what could happen in the classroom. It sounds 
So, so, there, so that was a really big project. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. How long did how long did it take? Well, here's the thing: it, the duration was over two semesters and a subsequent summer. So, I would just say that I have found it difficult to neatly fit community projects into semesters because, of course, the deadlines and schedules of organize, other organizations outside of the university have to be accommodated. Yeah. Um, I would say, I think as, as schools focus on greater action, interaction with our community, which is relatively new, can be a huge positive for anyone inclined towards community practice. But for someone like myself, who's already active in the community, I would have to add that I think any project needs to be meaningful and purposeful for the individual or individuals who are undertaking it. And it really can't be driven by PR for the institution. Um, things like Broadway Augmented arise out of real building real relationships and finding ways to make mutually beneficial things happen. And I, I think that's why Broadway Augmented was successful. It was because I was really committed to it artistically and pedagogically. And the greatest success of that project was in that it achieved this goal of being virtual while entirely grounded in an embodied experience of the neighborhood. What do you think? Makes a student public work um, a student public project work, Peter. Yeah, that sounds amazing, I, and I definitely agree. Um, you you know, as the instructor, you have to be able to meaningfully involve students within an expansive, open-ended form of creation. Um, you're moving outside of the institution and bringing your students with you um, on that journey and also bringing them direct into direct contact with communities in daily life. So it really has to start from your own experiences. Um, it's a way of helping students communicate and learn from the world outside of the classroom studio and guide them through shared creation and receptiveness mm -hmm. while, yeah. uh, while working with outside entities who, yeah, also have their own interests or concerns. So um, definitely working within, in that sense, the institutional structure is a challenge. Um, I, could, I, I could share a less successful experience. Yeah. Um, I could, um, I, I, I once had a, I was once offered an opportunity to work with an outside agency on a larger public, pro uh, public art festival with my students. And this is a festival held throughout the city and I never worked with the, this particular group before, and it, it was introduced to me by um, administrators in my college who were trying to initiate more community-based work. And on top of that, it came to me in the middle of the semester, so it was this very, um, here it is. Uh, so I knew this was going to be tough to integrate into my course, but I also just really wanted to to bring my students into it. Um, so I decided to jump on it and I modified an existing project that I hadn't actually assigned yet so that it could fit with the festival's parameters. It turned out that wasn't the hard part, getting the students excited and getting the project working in the classroom was easy. Um, the, the, the difficult part was that I didn't have any prior relationship with the organizers. So 
all of us with with how short term this was went into it making too many assumptions and for me that's um, mainly about how far the institution can really go in supporting a project like that um, mm. so i basically ended up presenting it as an opportunity that everyone in the class could strive for and um but but in the end I had to make compromises that I wasn't comfortable with. And mm -hmm. really, unlike the gallery exhibi exhibition I described earlier, it was very shoehorned in. So um, I saw the differences between something that grows organically from my own connections mm -hmm. that I can then more naturally involve my students in versus something that's initiated by the interests of the institution. Institution. And I have to say it's very interstitial because we've already been putting our heads together on all of this for this upcoming public art project that we're collaborating on. Yeah, that's um, right. We've got these two, we're both teaching the same two sections of the same class this semester. So we have to you know, hone in on some best practices that we can adopt and share together. Um, well, I think in terms of, you know, learning objectives for students, I think we can use it as a learning opportunity to teach about context, you know, the history of projected works in public spaces, understanding the legacy of that and how the work fits into it. And also, I think we can talk to them about the differences between something shown in the classroom versus something shown in a public space in terms of audience and context and content and relationship of the work to the site mm -hmm. um, and the kind of teamwork that will be needed. Um, there are really different stakes in going out into a public space. There's a different sense of responsibility that the students have to the public and to the hosts. So it just puts them into a larger realm of responsibility. And I think it's really important for us to communicate the value of the opportunity to the students. Yeah, I definitely agree with all of that. Um, Placemaking, site specificity, and an awareness of the implications with public art, especially if it is in some way institutionally sponsored. So it's, you know, it's, it's so important to have this understanding that it come through direct experience, but that the instructor can anticipate and guide students on. Yeah, I think we've covered a lot of ground here. And I, I also think it's been a really great opportunity for us to reflect on our experiences. And certainly in this project um, and in the future, I think we'll continue learning a lot from working together as well. Yeah, it's definitely going to be an ongoing uh, journey. Right. Yeah. So. Um, thank you so much, Alan, for inviting us to speak um, and hope, hope that your listeners have enjoyed uh, what we've shared. Absolutely. Thank you both. This has been fascinating. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>